the great grandmoms, why don't you stand to your feet? We want to acknowledge and recognize you today. You are amazing. We salute you. Thank you. God bless you. Go ahead and be seated. Well, good morning and welcome. So thrilled to have you worshiping with us at North Point this morning. Welcome books are going out. Offering buckets are going to go by in just a few minutes. Thank you for honoring God with your giving and putting the kingdom first and being generous toward God. We appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate this morning Woodrow Wilson, 100 years ago. It's the 100-year anniversary of Mother's Day. And so we are going to continue on our series. We kicked off a series Easter Sunday. Asked, uh, it's, it's the Why series. It's, as, it's solid answers to some of life's toughest questions. And uh, we're going to ask the Why question this morning about moms. Why are moms so dang important? And we're going to answer that this morning. George Washington said this, All that I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Moms are amazing. Charles Plum, maybe you've heard that name. He was a Navy Academy graduate. He was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. He flew 75 missions before being shot down by a uh, a surface-to-air missile. He parachuted into enemy territory. He was captured, and he survived a communist uh, camp for six years. And he now lectures about the experiences that he had and the lessons that he learned. One day he was in a restaurant. He was eating with his wife, and a man came up to him and said, You're Charles Plum. You flew missions off the Kitty Hawk, and you were shot down in Vietnam. And Charles Plum was taken aback, and he said, Yes. He said, I am. How did you know that? And the the man answered, he said, I packed your parachute. And so they exchanged some memories, and, and uh, as they bantered back and forth, uh, the man said, well, I guess it worked. And uh, your, your parachute worked. And Charles Plum said, yeah, it, it worked. And uh, thanks to you, because it worked, I'm here today. Well, that night, Charles Plum had difficulty sleeping. He was thinking about this man. And he was thinking about trying to remember if he'd ever seen him, if he'd ever said hi to him on the ship. You see, he was a, he was a fighter pilot, and this was just a, a Navy man, just a crewman. So they, they were kind of in a different category. And he was trying to envision him in his cap and in his, in his uh, what do they call them, the bell trousers, you know, the, the big trousers and, and his bibs. And he was trying to think back and remember this man. And uh, as he thought about it, he thought of the many hours that that sailor spent standing at a long wooden table in the bowels of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each parachute, each time holding in his hands the fate of someone who didn't even know who he was. Plum says that he needed many kinds of parachutes when his plane was shot down. He needed a a physical parachute. He needed a mental parachute. He needed an emotional parachute. He needed a spiritual parachute parachute. He needed all of those and more. And he's so grateful for the people that God placed in his life that helped pack his parachute. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning as we honor moms and we go to scripture and we look at three very imperfect women that were amazing parachute packers that that made history that changed the world, and we're going to look at them. We're going to look at three women from antiquity, and then we're going to look at three modern-day women, 
and we're going to learn and we're going to glean. And there's a lesson for every one of us that's here today because all of us have people in our lives that packed our parachute. And I want us to reflect on them today. I want us to remember them today. I, I want us to appreciate them today, particularly mothers, but not just mothers. There's others in our lives. And then to also think about, as we, as we share time together this morning, just a few minutes, think about those whose parachutes you're packing. Because there's people that are in your life. And some of them you don't even realize that they're in your life. You don't realize how they're watching you. You don't realize the influence that you're having on them. But every one of us in this room is packing parachutes. And I want us to think about that. I want us to think about the significance, and I want us to glean some lessons from some sterling examples in Scripture, as well as some beautiful, practical examples in modern-day life. So, with that said, let's look at three imperfect moms that packed a mean parachute and changed the world. The first one I want to look at is in the book of sec- uh, 1 Samuel, excuse me, and it is a, a little story. If you've been reading in the one-year Bible, been encouraging uh, us as a congregation to read through the Bible, to get our nose in the book. If we're going to be uh, fully devoted Christ followers, that's what we're all about at North Point. We need to have our nose in the book. And uh, so many of you are reading through the Bible. Uh, a number of you are reading through for the very first time. We like the one-year, uh, use any reading program, it doesn't matter, but one-year Bible online walks you through the whole of, uh, you read the entire Bible in one year, in about 10 to 15 minutes a day, you read an Old Testament segment, a New Testament segment, Psalms and Proverbs, you read through Proverbs and Psalms twice, twice the entire Bible in its entirety. It's a great reading program. And just this week, we have been reading about Samuel. And we read First Samuel, the first chapter, about Hannah. And so the first mother, the first woman that had significant influence that I want to focus on this morning is Hannah. Hannah and Samuel. To give you some of the backdrop of chapter 1, Hannah was barren. She couldn't have any children. She would go up to the, to the tabernacle for festivals uh, annually. Her, uh, uh, the woman who was uh, the, the also married to her husband uh, was constantly mocking and ridiculing her and making fun of her because she was barren. And this was a, a source of in, uh, incredible grief to her. And we pick up in chapter 1 where she's fasting, she's praying, she's pouring her heart out before God in prayer. She's asking God, would you please give me a son? Would you please give me a child? If you do, I will dedicate his entire life to your service. God hears her prayer, he opens her womb, and she's pregnant, and she gives birth to a son, Samuel, who is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament and one of the greatest men of God to ever grace the planet. And we pick up in his story in chapter 1, and we read chapter 2 and chapter 3. Well, in chapter 1, we read these verses, verse 27 and 28. Hannah says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And the last part of that verse says, and he worshipped the Lord there. Don't have it on the screen, but... The the last part of that verse says, He worshipped the Lord there. Can you imagine, parents? We don't know how old Samuel was. We know that he was young. We know that he was weaned from his mother and from nursing. So he was small. He was young. 
And yet the Bible tells us something about him that when his mother brought him to the tabernacle, when his mother handed him over to Eli the priest to raise this young boy, the Bible says he worshipped the Lord. We don't know how big he was, but he was, he was very young. And I think that's significant, and I think it's a glimpse into the life of this woman that had profound influence on her son. How many of us could take our young son? How old was he? Three, four, five? We don't know exactly. We'd, all the Bible tells us is that he was weaned. He was off of his mother's milk. That's all we know. How many young children do you know would be taken to a foreign place, left with foreign people, and entrusted to leave your home, leave your mother, leave all that you know, and they would worship the Lord. Wow. That is jaw-dropping to say the least. This woman had this kind of influence, this kind of impartation into her son. And the Bible tells the significant parts of Samuel's story. We're looking at three very imperfect women and their sons. And one of the things that strikes me about Samuel, if you've, if you've read the story, one of the things that, that is so striking to me is she dedicated him to the Lord. She put him in an environment where he could thrive spiritually. And I think there's a lesson in, for all of us as mentors and as people of influence you know, getting our kids in places where they can be rightly influenced is, is, is one of the, the, the greatest challenges and it's one of the most important things we can do as parents. But even though she, she dedicated him to the Lord and she got him in the right pl place, the Bible, the Bible is so transparent. I love that about Scripture. It gives us not only the good, it gives us the bad and the ugly. It, it shows us everything so that we can learn what to do and often what not to do. And what's interesting is Samuel's left in the tabernacle. He's left with the high priest. He's left with basically kind of the, well, the, 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 the top spiritual leader in the nation to mentor him. But the Bible tells us that Eli was a fat slob. That's the John Eliff uh, message amplified paraphrase. Okay, We're not going to call that a translation. We're not going to go that far. But the Bible tells us he was huge. He was obese. In fact, he died when he heard that, the, the, that the, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines. It says he rolled backwards out of his chair and he broke his neck. He was so heavy, he actually killed himself. And the Bible tells us that his two sons, which were also in the priesthood with him, were wicked. And it amplifies on their wickedness and their carnality. And I, I read this and I'm amazed. Here's a woman who purposed to put her son in an environment where he could thrive spiritually, and yet it was grossly imperfect. And you know what? Isn't that really true of life? As hard as we try, as, as, as greatly as we strive, as, 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 as perfect as we want to be as role models and examples and putting our kids in environments where they can grow and thrive, there's no such thing as a perfect environment. There's no such thing as a perfect family. We all have lopsides. We all have areas of sinfulness. We all have dysfunction. There's, there's, there's nothing perfect this side of heaven. And I'll tell you, I draw encouragement 
from Hannah and Samuel, knowing you don't have to be raised in a perfect environment, you don't have to be a perfect parent, you don't have to be a perfect mentor, for God to be able to do something significant in your life and in somebody else's life. Aren't you glad? So the first example, Hannah and Samuel. The wrong people, but the right environment, the right place. That's important in all of our lives. The second example I want to look at is one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, one of the most famous kings in the Old Testament, the richest man to ever live, Solomon, and his mother, Bathsheba. And I want to highlight this story because, again, I want to underscore how imperfect this mother was. If you hear the name David and Bathsheba, most people are familiar even if they're not biblically educated. Because it's one of the most outrageous, it's one of the most scandalous events in all of human history. David is at the pinnacle of success. You remember the story. He was a very successful king. He saw Bathsheba at the time of war when he should have been out to war. He was sitting on his buns, being lazy, Idleness is the devil's workshop. No, that's not in the Bible, but it's still a pretty true proverb. And so he gets into trouble. He sees Bathsheba. She's beautiful. He wants her. He calls for her. He sends for her. She comes. They engage in adultery. She becomes pregnant. He's got to cover his sin. So Uriah the Hittite, which is one of his top elite 30 warriors, he sets Uriah up to be murdered effectively on the front line. You remember the story. It's horrendous. It's black, it's ugly, it's shameful. It was, it was on the front page of the National in, uh, Israeli Inquirer, whatever the newspaper was back then. Everybody knew about it. It was scandalous, it was shameful. And yet, Bathsheba, we see Solomon. We read his words. In fact, I want to read some of his words out of the book of Proverbs. He penned most of the book of Proverbs. He was the wealthiest man to ever live. He was uh, arguably one of the greatest kings in all of Israeli history. And we get some insights into his relationship with his mother. How does something so good come out of something so bad? Bathsheba is pregnant. The Bible tells us that child is born and it dies. And I don't have this for the big screen for you, but listen to the words of 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. It says, Then after this child died, that was born out of this adulterous relationship, the Bible says, David comforted his wife Bathsheba, went into her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son. He, David, named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet. He named him Jedidiah, for the Lord's sake. Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. Is that not a picture of God's amazing grace? Wow. A child comes out of this relationship that is so wrong, that started so, so sinful, so scandalous, and yet this child Solomon is born, and God sends the top prophet of the nation to say his name is going to be Jedediah. Because he is beloved of the Lord. Solomon went on to be an amazing leader and an influential king. 
the queen of Sheba came and marveled at his kingdom, marveled at his wisdom. The Bible records that he was the wisest man that ever lived. The Bible records almost 30 chapters written by him full of wisdom and Proverbs. Listen to just a few of them. Well, before I go there, let me read this verse out of 2 Kings 2.19. I do have this verse for you for the big screen. The Bible tells us this, that when Bathsheba went to King Solomon, right after Solomon was installed as king, Bathsheba goes to her son. The king stood up to meet her, bowed down to her, sat down on his throne, and then he had a throne brought for the king's mother, and she sat down at his right hand. What amazing honor. What incredible respect Solomon had for his mother Bathsheba. Why? Because she was a profound influence on his life. Some 15 times Solomon records in the book of Proverbs alone about the amazing influence of the parent and particularly the mother. He wrote things like this, Proverbs 1.8 and 6.20, Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Fathers predominantly taught in that culture. But his mother was deeply influential in teaching him, in influencing him, in giving him a heart for God and a passion for learning. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Chapter 4, verse 3 in Proverbs. He says, I was the only son of my mother, cherished by my mother. He knew that he was loved. He was smothered in godly strong love from his mother. Proverbs 19.26 and chapter 20 and 20 says this, Don't shut out or don't drive out your mother. The child who does so will bring shame and disgrace. Don't shut your mother out, Solomon said. Listen to your mother. Learn and glean from your mother. To put it in the vernacular in the context of our message this morning, allow her to pack your parachute and pay attention to what she's telling you. Proverbs 23.22 says, Don't despise your mother when she's old. Sorry, ladies. Eventually it's going to happen. We'll just, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just keep it at 29. But the Bible says you eventually... Okay, you get the idea. But he, he loved his mother. He had deep respect for his mother. And she was a profound influence on his life. So despite a shameful, sinful beginning... God's beautiful grace was at work. And some of you need to hear that this morning because your start wasn't so pretty. Your start was derailed. Your start was marred by sin somewhere along the way. And I want you to know, there's hope and there's, there's grace and there's a new beginning in Jesus Christ for everyone under the sound of my voice. I'm so grateful for it this morning. So Hannah and Samuel, Bathsheba and Solomon. And then the last relationship I want to look at is in the New Testament. And a somewhat misunderstood relationship. There's been all kinds of even heretical teaching regarding this relationship and some things that are just so beyond the teachings of Scripture. It's... it's, it's it doesn't make sense. I want to talk for a few minutes and look at the relationship that Mary had with her son, her biological son, Jesus Christ. 
See, some denominations will teach that Mary was perfectly sinless. That's why she was chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. No, the Bible nowhere teaches that. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mary was a godly young lady, but she was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like the rest of humanity. She wasn't sinlessly perfect. That's not why God chose her. God chose her and put His hand on her because she was a faithful, humble servant. When the angel came, you remember the story, she, he, 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 he unfolds this, this almost ridiculous plan that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and she's going to conceive by the power of God. And she doesn't debate it. She doesn't question. She does have a few questions, but then she says, be it unto me according to the word of the Lord. She trusted God. And in that, she was, she was a wonderful mother. But here's the passage that I want to focus on. It's in John chapter 2. And this is interesting. This, this is the very first miracle that Jesus works. And I want you to listen to the Scripture. I want you to get a sense of the dynamic of what's happening here and Mary's influence in the life of Jesus. It's the wedding at Cana. You remember the story. There's public shame. The, 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 the father... Of the bride has run out of wine, which is a massive problem. Mary goes to Jesus, and she, the Bible says, the, uh, Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Here's Jesus' response. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. So wrong timing. Mary saw a problem. Isn't it interesting? This wasn't a sick person. Wasn't somebody with leprosy. Contrary to what some denominations teach, falsely, Jesus, this was the first miracle. He had no track record of miracles. How could she know that he could do something about this situation because she believed something about Jesus? She believed He was the Messiah. She believed He was the Son of God. He believed that she was the one the Scriptures foretold. She believed that. Now now the Bible's clear that her children, Jesus had biological brothers and sisters. His brothers and His sisters did not believe in Him. His brothers and his, His biological brothers and sisters, they despised Him. They ridiculed Him. They taunted him. They did not believe. When he was started telling people who he was, they didn't buy it. And they didn't believe it. Can you imagine your brother walking around telling people that he's the Son of God? That's pretty weird, okay? But here's the point. Mary believed. She believed not just in her son, She believed in the Son of God. And that's the lesson we can glean from her life. Listen, Jesus said to her, My time has not yet come. The Scripture says, But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. You know, that's that's as pertinent, that's as applicable today as it was when it was spoken 2,000 years ago. 
Mary's counsel is good counsel. She didn't argue with Jesus. She didn't get into a debate with Him. She just turned to the servants and said, whatever He tells you to do, just do it. Why? Because something good is going to happen if you follow His instructions. And you know the same is true for your life and the same is true for my life. A preacher put it this way a long time ago when it comes to reading the Gospels. He said, read the red and pray for the power. What does that mean? Read the words of Jesus. Listen to His teachings. Dwell on them. Think about them. Why? Whatever He says, do it. That's good counsel. That, was what he, that, that is what Mary said to the servants. That is the lesson for you and I to take from this example. And you know what? Not only mothers, particularly mothers, but all of us can glean from this example. Listen, even Jesus needed someone to believe in Him. Jesus was God. Jesus knew His mission. Jesus knew His purpose. He knew it. He knew there was divine timing to it. But somehow, now why would the Bible record this? See, some people would read this and they would say there's no way that a mortal person like Mary could have any influence on Jesus. That is a ridiculous notion. Jesus would have, mis- he would have mystically appeared. And yet he was born of a woman. He was born to a family. She had influence on him. She packed his parachute. She believed in her son. And everyone in this room, everyone on the planet needs somebody to believe in them. It's part of packing their parachute. And so, I want you to think about the people that have believed in you. And I want you to think about the people that are in your life that you need to express belief in them. And you might have to do that by faith because there might not be a lot there right now that you see that you can believe in. But everybody needs somebody to believe in them. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. You see, Hannah had the right had the right environment, but the wrong people. And God still did something amazing. Bathsheba had the wrong start. But she didn't let that bad start ruin the entire race. And Mary, Mary, even though maybe her timing was wrong, she got it right in believing in not only her son, but the Son of God, and gave wise counsel, whatever He says, do it. We see three examples from Scripture, three very imperfect women that were amazing parachute packers. And this morning, I want to introduce you to to three different women this morning that are are here and now, that are are part of this lifetime, that have had remarkable influence. And uh, the first one that I want to introduce you to is uh, actually going to be through my mother, Marie Eliff, and she's going to talk a little bit about her mother. So would you give a warm welcome to my mother, Marie Eliff, as she comes. And uh, Mom, tell us a little bit about Marguerite. Let me just paint a little bit of the background. My 85-year-old mother, happy Mother's Day. Uh, We're going to enjoy a meal together and 
and uh, she's she she loves. I've told you she loves God, she loves her family, and she loves golf. Right in that order, right there. <laughs> they're 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 really close together. But uh, mom, you, you didn't come out of a perfect environment. Your father was a police officer, was killed in the line of duty at the age of eight. Uh, your mother was a sickly woman. Uh, your mother was prone to depression. Uh, you had to help your mother quite a bit in the home. You had to be like a mother to your siblings and taking a lot of responsibility early. And your mother was not perfect, but your mother had a bent toward God that got you started in the right direction. Tell us a little bit about what Marguerite did right. And then also tell us, I know you, you've, you've shared a little bit about uh, other women that have been like spiritual moms. So tell, tell us a little bit about Marguerite and what she did right. So parents, tuck that away. Family night, get the house cleaned all together. It's, it's just a, it's a wonderful time of bonding and, uh, and uh, force your kids to like each other whether they like each other or not. That's, that's just what we did at, at, in Elaville. Well, three examples from Scripture, three modern examples, all imperfect, and yet the grace of God operating and working. And as we prepare to close, I just want to just summarize the lesson today. First of all, to moms, grandmothers, sisters, aunts, spiritual mothers of all types. Three things. Recognize the extraordinary, extraordinary influence that you have. Number two, embrace this high calling. And number three, trust God's grace to pack parachutes in your family and in the lives of those whom God has given you influence. And to all of us, because all of us are parachute packers, I want to exhort you, number one, honor your mother, honor your physical mother, honor your spiritual mothers, that's important. Number two, listen to your mom and to your spiritual mothers and, and take from their lessons and their teachings. And number three, trust God's grace to pack parachutes in your sphere of influence. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for a final word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've shared together. I pray for every mother every grandmother, every great-grandmother. I pray for every aunt. Lord, every, every woman that you've, you've given influence, I pray for them today. God, I pray that Your strong hand will be upon them. Lord, that Your grace will be flowing like a river. And God, even in spite of us, because we are so broken, we are so human, Lord, in spite of us, work through our lives, to touch others. Lord, I pray for every parachute packer under the sound of my voice. By Your grace, Lord, help us to be godly influences in others' lives to the glory of God, for the advancement of Your kingdom, and for the sake of eternity. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's lift our voices in worship to God as we close.